So our mission here is we're pursuing limitless life in Jesus. And why are we doing that? So our lives can impact the world. And that's, that's the reason we're here, and that's the reason that we come here every Sunday is because we all want to learn how to do that at a greater level, right? We want to learn how to pursue limitless, limitless life in Jesus. We understand that doesn't happen overnight. We understand that we need to renew our minds with the Word, and that's how it's going to happen. Take a look at our core scripture here. It says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us, who's thankful that it's not your mighty power, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. All we have to do is allow his mighty power to work in us. And I like the word accomplish in this verse because accomplished means that something actually gets done. This isn't a maybe God's going to do it. This is a for sure thing. God wants to accomplish infinitely more in your life. Another thing I want to point out, infinitely more. Even your wildest dreams can't fathom what God wants to do in your life. So it's time to take the limits off. All right, so this month we're working through a new series called God Cares More About Your Money Than You Do. How many of you believe that's true? In part one, Tim Bell poured the foundation with a message titled, God Wants You Wealthy. This is something you've got to believe if you want to reach your financial potential in this life. You have to believe that God wants you wealthy. Because if you think that God wants you poor, I want to just encourage you to go back and listen to Tim's message on our website. And I also want to encourage you to get in God's word, because you're going to find out that that's just simply not true. And I want you to renew your mind, and I want you to get online and just seek out messages about God wanting you wealthy, because it takes a little bit. Like, if you, feel, if, if you think that God wants you poor, like, I'm not putting you down this morning. That's something that we've all been taught maybe through the years that religion has taught us, and it's a little bit hard to kick out of your, out of your brain. So put in the work and make that happen. I can prove it to you that God wants you wealthy in this verse. This is awesome. God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Now, it's worth noting that this scripture actually follows a teaching about giving. So God's promise of abundance here, it does have a contingency, and that's that you have to handle money God's way, which we're going to talk about today. In part two, Tim Bell shared with us the key to godly wealth, which leads back to giving. If you want to be wealthy God's way, then you have to be a giver. There's no way around it. If you struggle with giving, I want you to go listen to part two on our website because Tim brought it in a way in the most non-threatening way that I've ever heard a message on giving. Can anybody agree with that? He didn't put you down. He just, he just brought the word to us, and it was encouraging. All right, so let's get into part three. So how many of you have found money to be a little stressful? Okay, maybe like really stressful at times. So maybe you don't have enough to pay your bills, or maybe you're afraid that something you've invested in is actually going to cost you money instead of make you money. Whatever it is, we've all been stressed out at one time or another, but what if I told you that money didn't have to be stressful? Would you believe me? The truth is, when we see money the way God sees money, it loses its power and just becomes one of those things that's just part of life. It's not really any different than using the restroom. Chances are money holds a much higher place in your life than using the restroom. Actually, for the typical American, money runs their life. It's in charge. It decides what they do and when they do it. And for most of us, money's our boss. It's the manager of our life. On the other side are people who have found some success and take the position of ownership over money. In other words, either money owns you or you own money. But there's a third option that few people find, yet it's the one that God wants us to operate in. And that's when we take the position as a manager 
of money. You see, we're not meant to be slaves of money. We're not meant to be owners of money. We're meant to be managers of money. So let's talk about each of these categories today so you can find out where you are in those three categories and if you need to make a change. All right, so if we track the average American, it usually goes like this. You go to school, you graduate, you find a job, and you finally have a little bit of money to spend. As a young adult, you can afford an apartment, buy electronics, new clothes, some furniture, and of course, a car. And the bills start to come in. One day you meet the love of your life and and you get married. And for a while it's really blissful because now you have two incomes, but you only have to pay one rent. So you save all that extra money for your ultimate dream, your own home. You find a house, pull money out of savings for a down payment, and now you have not only a house, but a mortgage. But wait, the house is empty. So you head down to the furniture store that says, no money down, easy monthly payments. Life is wonderful. So you throw a party to show your friends your new house, your new car, your new furniture, your new toys. But what you don't show them is all your new debt. Because for some reason, it's not as cool as the car. Then your first child arrives. And because you need both incomes to pay for all your new stuff, you send your kiddo to daycare, daycare, and you head off to work your tail off. Every day, you get up, you go to work, drop the kids off, come home, fix dinner, Go to bed, rinse, and repeat. You get trapped in the facade of job security, hoping that if you give the best part of your life away to your employer, they'll secure you a job. After all, you can't afford to quit. You have to pay your bills. You know, as a kid, you dreamed about the freedom that you would have after leaving your parents' house. But then all you found was a new master, money. Adult life isn't as fun as you thought it was going to be. Can anybody relate to that? The problem is we put our trust in the wrong place. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Teach those who are rich in this world, which is all of us in this room because we live in America, not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. You see, when we look to money, which is most of the time disguised as our job to bring us security, we get into trouble. We put our hope in the fact that one day when we have money, we will finally live the life that we've always dreamed of. But when our income increases, we find some new debt to take on because, you know, we need a better car, we need a new house, or nicer clothes. So the bottom line stays the same. There's no money left over. You may be spending more than you make. But we keep hoping for the next raise, trusting it's going to fix everything. But then again, nothing changes. More comes in, but the same amount goes out. Or maybe even more. This is why Timothy says not to put your trust in money. It's unreliable, and it will lead you astray. It tricks you into thinking that it's the answer. Money is the answer. But you just end up running after the carrot, but never catching it. But when we trust in God, he richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Let that soak in for a minute. Look at those yellow words. You put your trust in money and you're going to chase it until you die. You put your trust in God, and not only will you have what you need, but you're going to enjoy life. So if you're a slave to money, don't beat yourself up, because our school system here in America actually teaches you to be that way. That's right. They teach us how to get good grades so we can get a good job, but they don't teach us how to manage money. By osmosis, money becomes our manager. And we spend our lives working for something that was meant to work for us. 
some people catch on and they're determined to get out of slavery to money. So they decide they need to own a lot of money to fix the problem. But it doesn't fix the problem because we're meant to be managers of money, not owners of money. The two may sound like the same thing, but they're very different. In 1 Chronicles 29, King David is wrapping up his final days as king by running a last-ditch fundraising effort so that the next king, Solomon, can build a temple. They'd been raising money for quite some time, but David wanted to go out with a bang. So he donated all of his private treasure of gold and silver and then asked the others to do the same. Together, they raised 300 tons of silver and, or 300 tons of gold and 637 tons of silver, not to mention all the other valuables that were given on top of this. So in today's money, one ton of gold is worth about $64.3 million, and one ton of silver is worth about $1 million. So what happened here is they raised $20 billion worth of silver and gold, and that doesn't even include everything that was raised up to this point. I'd imagine King David would probably be pretty proud of himself at this accomplishment. But look at what he says. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. Notice he didn't say of my own I've given you. You see, in America, we obsess over ownership. We love to brag about the cars that we own or that we have the latest and greatest phone. But the thing is, God created everything, and everything belongs to him. Psalms 50, 10 through 12 says, For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains, and the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, because I own the world, and I could go get whatever I wanted to eat, right? I mean, come on, how do we even allow ourselves to think that what we have really belongs to us? We were born into a world that was created by God. The car that you drove to church today, if God didn't provide the raw materials for us to create cars, guess what? You wouldn't have drove it to church today. The knowledge that you use at work to earn a paycheck, you wouldn't have that either if God didn't create you in your mother's womb. So although it's hard to admit, I think we can all agree that God owns everything, even the chair you're sitting in. So when the church has a need, why doesn't God just take that money right out of your pocket and put it in the church bank account? If he owns it, why doesn't he do that? Genesis 1.28, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. And then in Psalm 115.16, the heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. You see, the earth belongs to God, but he's given it to us to manage. In other words, we get to decide what we do with its resources. I don't know about you, but it's a relief to know that I'm not the owner. You see, it's the owner that takes on all the risk if something goes wrong. And to help you understand, let's look at this in the context of business. So if you own a business and one of your managers makes a mistake, guess who it ultimately comes back on? The owner. Sure, the manager may get fired and lose a salary, but if the manager's mistake costs the company a million dollars... Whose loss was it? The owner's. But when it comes to life and our money, we're not the owner, thank God. We're a manager. And God handles our mistakes a little differently than a business owner would. Let me tell you a story to illustrate. John was promoted to a high-level management position and tasked with approaching a current customer with an idea that would not only help the customer, but increase income for the company. In the process, John did... John not only failed to convince the customer to upgrade, but he actually caused the customer to pull out altogether, resulting in a huge loss for his company. 
Hesitant to take the issue to his boss, the conversation was inevitable. After a load of worry and staying up all night, he went to his boss's office and told him what had happened. The boss just smiled and said, it's okay, John. Everyone makes mistakes, especially when trying something new. I was already working on something on my end to replace the income should this happen. So let's just learn from it and keep moving forward. This is how God treats his managers. But to get this kind of freedom, you first have to recognize him as the owner. Understanding that God is the owner frees you from having to protect your money and your assets. You see, if you lose something or something gets stolen, it's not your loss. It's God's. And last I checked, you can't bankrupt God. He owns everything and definitely has what it takes to cover your mistakes. So does this mean we've escaped responsibility and we can just do whatever we want and just trust that God's going to fix it for us? Of course not. Luke 12, 47, let's look at what Jesus says. And a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When you do something you know you shouldn't, go ahead and brace yourself because the consequences are coming. And this definitely applies to what you do with money. But if you didn't know any better, your, your mistake is still going to have some negative consequences, but it's just enough for you to learn from it. In other words, it'll actually propel you forward because now you know what not to do. You see, if there was no negative consequence, you might make the same mistake twice. So it's really to our advantage that we're punished lightly, even when we don't know any better. Doesn't sound fun though, does it? So now that we know we're supposed to be managers of money, what does it look like to manage money God's way? In Matthew 25, Jesus tells us of a story a story of a man going on a long trip, and while he was gone, he entrusted his three servants with his money. He divided it up in proportion to their abilities. The first guy received approximately $150,000 in today's money. The second received $90,000, and the third received $30,000. The one who received $150,000 invested it and doubled it to $300,000. The one with $90,000 went to work and doubled his as well. But the one with $30,000, he just went and he dug his money in the backyard and waited for, the, waited for his master to get back. Now, when the master returned, the first two servants were given a pat on the back and a well done. I think we can all understand why. But the last servant, he dug up his money and he gave back the master exactly what was given to him. And you know, this doesn't seem so bad because if I loaned out money to somebody and they gave it back exactly as I loaned it out, that'd be okay. That's better than losing it, right? But the master said, well, he was really furious. He called the servant wicked and lazy. He took, the, he took the, the small amount of money and gave it to the one who had the most money, the 300000 I was like, well, how does that make sense? Here's the moral story. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what they have will be taken away. In other words, use your money well, and you're going to have an abundance. Do nothing with it, like stash it away in a savings account, and it'll be taken away. The tax man's going to get it. Somebody's going to get it. Often we think that God wants us to be frugal. And it's really a warped idea of what a good steward is. That's not God's desire at all. He wants us to use money to make more. And I can prove it to you. In Ecclesiastes 5, 13 through 14, hoarding riches harms the saver. What? Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. In the end, there is nothing left to pass on to one's children. So when we hoard money, we lose the ability 
to hear from God about investing smart. So we invest dumb and we lose it all. In Proverbs 13, we're told that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But this seems to contradict God's mandate not to hoard money, right? Yet somehow when we manage money God's way by using it for good, there's a guarantee that not only our children, but our grandchildren are going to receive an inheritance. You see, handling money according to the Bible doesn't always make sense at first. Maybe you're struggling with that today. You're like, this just doesn't make sense. And actually, it usually doesn't make sense whenever you learn something from the Bible because it's countercultural. Our culture teaches us, us something different. So our culture tells us to do one thing with money, and then the Bible comes around and tells us to do the exact opposite. So which is right? The book that was inspired by God and has survived thousands of years? Or the American culture that's been around for 200 years and looks like it's fallen apart? You see, the more money used for good, the more money comes your way. I think we all understand that money given to your church or to charitable organizations or to somebody in need are all good uses of money. But even giving to those who don't have an immediate need is a good use of money because money you spend on others is not an expense, it's an investment. In other words, giving a good tip to your waiter, giving something valuable to a friend, buying someone's lunch, and even paying someone well who has done work for you are all good uses of money. When you do these things, prosperity will follow you around. Look at this, Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. There's one who scatters, yet increases more. And there's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich. You notice I'm not coming to you today with just a bunch of ideas that I've pulled out of my head, but I'm pelting you with a bunch of scriptures that back up these ideas because I wanted to show you that it doesn't just say it once in the Bible. I'm not just pulling something out of context. You can find it over and over again. When you hold on to money, I'm going to give you a visual. Your fists are closed, so you can't receive either because your fists are closed. But if you're giving, your hands are open and also ready to receive. God wants us to use money for good. He wants us to invest money to make more. He wants us to invest in our church. He wants us to invest in others. And he wants us to create a life of enjoyment for our families. So my question to you is, what relationship do you have with money? Are you a slave to money? Are you an owner of money? Or are you a manager of money? Before you came to church today, you probably already knew that you weren't supposed to be a slave to money. But now you know that you're not the owner either. God is. He's taken the responsibility of the owner so you don't have to stress about money. So if you make a mistake, he's got it. Trust me, you can't bankrupt the one who created the world. For this to work, though, you have to put your trust in God, not in money. When money goes short, the first place you should go to is to God. You should pray and ask for wisdom. You should get into his word. And you should get online and listen to messages about how to manage money God's way. But to do this, you're probably going to have to break some old habits. Your default response to money problems might be to go sit at the kitchen table and run the numbers and worry and fret and get all stressed out. Or maybe you respond by working harder and longer or getting a second job. The thing is, God may direct you to sit down and think through a creative solution to your money problem. Or he may lead you to a better job. The problem is we don't seek him first for guidance. We just go about it our own way. But if our trust is in God instead of money, we will always go to him for the answer. 
And if we wait until we find it, and we gotta, we got to wait until we find it instead of just jumping into our own solutions. And that's really hard to do, especially when you have an immediate need. But it's some, something we have to do in this room to, if we want to handle God, money God's way, we have to go to him first when money problems rise up. How many of you guys have actually went to him first? Yeah, nobody raises their hand. I, I feel you. I've been there. I've done that. It's much easier to just open up the spreadsheet and not try to figure things out. But I promise you, he's got a better way. So today, some of you probably just need to take the position of manager of money instead of money managing you. You need to sit down, you need to pray for wisdom, and then write a plan for your money, and then follow it, aka a budget. But I don't like to use that word. Let's just call it a plan for your money. Doesn't that sound better? Some of you may need to start giving because now you know that hoarding money is not managing money God's way, and when you manage money your own way, you end up running in circles. Some of you may have found financial stability, but you're consistently afraid of losing it all. It's time to recognize God as the owner and take the position of a manager. Let the stress go and put your trust in God that he knows what he's doing. And if he asks you to invest it all instead of letting it sit in your savings account like he's done to me recently, I have to trust him that he knows what he's doing because I sure don't like it and my flesh doesn't either. Now, some of you do manage money God's way and you've entered into abundance. But I want to encourage you guys that are in that position to not become complacent in where you are because God wants to do so much more through you. Start believing God for the next step. So what I want to do right now, and I usually do this in my messages, is give you guys some time to close your eyes and and let God speak to you about your specific next step. We're all in a different place. Maybe you are a slave to money. And Today's message isn't to beat you up. Today's message is to encourage you to push out of that. Become a manager of money. Not let money have a hold of your life. 